On episode 46 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, myself, Adam, and Jeremiah talk about West Ham's important and emphatic win over Chelsea on the weekend, talk about Wolves midweek, and preview and go all in on Arsenal and their lack of character on Monday's match. And we finish the episode, as always, by answering Hammers polls questions. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. It is episode 46. Uh, we are live myself and Jeremiah. Jeremiah, how are you doing? Is it still snowy out in Colorado? We still got snow. It's not snowing anymore, but uh, I'm good, man. Dude, we, we won. I think uh, still kind of shocked from that, but yeah. how are you? I, I, I'm still living off that high right now anyways, and you know the rest of the footballing world has not forgotten the exciting tale that is David Martin, which we will talk about uh, in due time. But uh, yeah, for right now, uh, all is well for me. Uh, we have uh, an exciting midweek matchup to look forward to with West Ham and Wolves, which we'll get into, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been nice to see positivity in the West Ham world lately, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of like we feed off each other. Even if things are negative, we're going negative, and it's there's a little bit of positivity, then a lot of it comes in. So it's a good feeling. It's uh, it's not a really known feeling because we haven't felt it in what the last like eight weeks. So it's it's good to finally get that back. I know it's been kind of a weird season because it was a predictably bad start, quote unquote, against City, and then this run of fixtures where we didn't lose for the longest period of time and everything was great, and then. We start dropping games, obviously, with the fall of Fabianski and the rise of Roberto, if you will, and the, the, you know the end of the world's happening. But realistically, we kind of broke even on those on those games, if you if you will, with the strong start. I know we're further down at the table and whatnot, but uh, now we get one win and everyone's happy and, and back on in the excitement. You know, the excitement levels are high again. So I don't know, man. The the ups the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and peaks and valleys of being a West Ham fan has never been more apparent than now. Yeah, and something crazy, right? We went from we were seventeenth, and now I think we're thirteenth, right? Or we were. Um, is it thirteenth? Is that right? I think I'm going to say right something there. wrong, and then it'll be the off. Table yeah. here, so <laughs> uh, I know that we are sitting in thirteenth currently, uh, and as it stands right now, Rodrigo just hit a banger against Burnley. They're up three uh, nil. City is so uh, that will be Burnley, who will be at the very least tied with us on goal differential at minus six as it stands right now, uh, and just two points ahead of us. So we can pass them with a win against Wolves tomorrow, should that happen. Uh, Wolves are sitting in seventh place in the table with 20 points. But what's more important, I think, is who's sitting fourth in the table with 26 points, and that's Chelsea. Did you? Let's just go through our predictions, <laughs> pre-match predictions for this game. Did you have West Ham winning, losing, or drawing? Losing. I think I predicted it's either 2-1 or 3-1, but yeah, losing. I think I had 4-0 to Chelsea. Uh, so safe to say we were wrong. Um, yeah. I guess we were kind of right in that goals would be uh, very scarce in, in this match for West Ham specifically. Uh, and that's pretty easy to see. I mean, they don't have the, the tightest defense, which we saw in this match. But you'd figure that their offense would hold on to the ball and their midfield so strong that possession would be hard to come by. And, and it really was for West Ham. Uh, in the match itself, they finished the game with 34% possession. And take that with a grain of salt because the final 15 minutes of the match, it was just Chelsea holding onto the ball. Mm-hmm. So we both were, were negative heading into it. The team selection came out, and there was a couple surprises. Um, maybe the most 
needed surprise was David Martin starting in goal. Uh, a clean sheet, a bit nervy at times, but uh, his Premier League debut is a clean sheet with his dad in the in the crowd and uh, away at, at Chelsea. I mean, does it get any better than that for a 33-year-old keeper? No, it's fantastic. And, you know, it's it's kind of like old news, but it's still good news, man. It's still great to see it. All the good love that's going towards David Martin, even today with the club's post on Twitter and Instagram, I had a picture of him smiling in net. Like it's, it's a cool, it's a cool story that we just got to keep kind of holding on to. And yeah, that was a surprise. I think it was a, it was a surprise that we all have been hoping for. Um, I'd say another big surprise that kind of shocked me was maybe, maybe even more than Allaire not being in the starting eleven, but seeing Fornals in there. Uh, for me, that was a bit of a shock. And, and quite honestly, I think he, I thought he played really well. I, I was super impressed with Fornells, and I have been a Fornells supporter uh, since he's joined here. I don't think he's been given the best opportunity. And I also, when I looked at the team sheet today and saw that er, today on match day, and I saw that Antonio, uh, sorry, uh, Anderson was in the middle in the number 10 position. I was thinking, they're setting. I actually commented on one of our posts saying, uh, Anderson's going to struggle in the number 10 position because he can't dance down the line. Fornells is going to struggle out wide because he likes to cut inside and have the freedom to go both directions. And it's going to be a, a, you know, a big scuff up from, from Pellegrini. But I mean, I was wrong and I'm so happy to be wrong. And, and Fornells <laughs> even picked up an assist. I thought he actually looked really lively. Uh, you'll see Anderson pull out of tackles every now and then. Fornells was, was throwing himself into things. He was not stepping down, even though he's a, a slighter guy. Uh, yeah, I was super impressed with his performance for sure. Yeah, I thought like the big thing that stood out to me, like you mentioned, was he wasn't afraid. He didn't back down. There was a couple times when he went up for the ball, and um, you know they got into a bit of a scuff in the air or once they landed. And it, it, I think that it was good to see. I think his confidence is finally coming about him. And yeah, I mean, a beautiful setup play. And ball came to him. He flicked it on to Cresswell, and then you know Cresswell did the rest with his right foot, surprisingly. So yeah, all in all, man, a good day for him, and it was a good surprise. And I think. One of the criticisms against Fornals has been that he is very hesitant when he has the ball. We saw him with the ball in his foot. I can't remember the opposition, but it was the perfect opportunity for him to shoot. And he was, you know, he was in the box and he had the opportunity to nab a goal. I think it may have been against Watford. And he chose to try and pass it across the front of the box. And the ball got intercepted and the play died. And it was just a matter of maybe not trusting himself entirely. On that goal, he had the ball on his boot for entirely half of a millisecond, and he laid on the perfect weight and knew that Cresswell was overlapping on that run. Everything about it was picture perfect, uh, but, but Fornell set it up beautifully. And, uh, I mean, what can we say about that finish? Did you know Aaron Cresswell had a right foot on him? <laughs> no, you've been hearing a lot of jokes about that this week. And uh, it, it looked – it was like the reverse of like a Yarmolenko, right? Like, you know Yarmolenko was coming down. He's going to kind of pass it off. He's going to cut in left, and he's going to shoot it with his left. And it was the reverse of that. But, no, I, I think everybody, to include Keppa and everybody on the Chelsea defense, just expected him to keep going left. And he fooled everybody. And, man, that was a pretty shot. Just kind of curled right in there perfectly. And, yeah, shocked. I think even as the goal went in and they're all celebrating, going over with the away fans, and it's nuts, I'm still sitting on my couch, like, shocked. Just kind of shocked at this point that happened and it was him and and how it all went down it was kind of perfect yeah i i, I had a, a phone call going on between my fiance and my mom on the couch beside me speaker phone call and i'm just staring there and sitting there rather and staring at the tv and all of a sudden i'm, I'm yelling and running around and 
and my fiance Alicia goes, oh, West Ham just scored to try and clarify. But I, I couldn't believe it because, <laughs> first of all, Cresswell to shoot on his right foot and not put a cross in is pretty crazy. To see him cut back so smoothly. And he also – there was a little bit of a curve, like you said, to the shot, but he just hammered it. He hit the ball hard, um, mm-hmm. which is, I think, what surprised the defenders more than anything. But to continue on to the, this awesome thing is that Reese James, uh, the right back for um, – for Chelsea had had such a great game up to that point. And that was really mm. one of the few mistakes that he made in that entire match. And uh, what a mistake to make, but Cresswell, he's on some form this season, three goals. He's tied for second in team scoring right now, <laughs> man. If you put money on that at the beginning of the season, you'd be pretty, pretty well off right now. Yeah. So that's just uh that's, that's another great thing. And you're right. Reese James had a heck of a game. He's a good young quality, you know, right back. And he, same thing. You, you could tell he, he thought he was going to the left. So, once he kicked it into the right, yeah, it's it was all bets off. Everybody was shocked. So I'm, I doubt he was watching film on Aaron Cresswell, but if you were, like <laughs> that, that's something that never has come out of his repertoire before. So good, good on we'll him for, for staying for staying sharp there. And I love the celebration, just slapping his own hand as he's running around to the fans and the knee slide. <laughs> like you know it was coming. You knew it was coming for me. And uh, <laughs> the the you know everyone talks about. Uh, you know, Declan Rice and Ryan Fredericks has a good bromance or Cresswell and Noble, but Cre- Cresswell and Snodgrass have something going on. They keep chirping mm-hmm. and chipping away at each other on social media. And uh, you could see Snodgrass is saying something to him after the goal and they were just killing themselves. But, uh, it, you know, it was all around a happy times for, for West Ham supporters in this match. And I think what made people happy was the keeper was dropped which was an easy decision to make. That's an easy point for Pellegrini to win over the fans with. A difficult pill for them to swallow would be dropping Sebastian Allaire and bringing in Antonio rather than playing them up top together or playing Antonio on the right. But Snodgrass has been great so far. He actually had a couple crosses. One forced a great save from Kepa that Antonio put a head on. And and you, you, know, you see how this team was being built and you think like, okay, there's a lot of risky decisions that were being made here. Keeping Cresswell in when people were asking for... Mazuaku to come back and Memo Pellegrini stuck to his version of changing things up. And another big part of that, I think, was the midfield, holding midfield duo of Declan Rice and Mark Noble. Um, It was very, very apparent that Mark Noble was not this box to box midfielder in this match. He was pinned back beside Rice, and I thought it changed the game for West Ham. It did. It allowed uh, allowed the defense to come up more, they looked more comfortable it allowed our attackers to attack more too. I think uh, in previous podcasts, the previous matches, you've seen a lot of, you know, Anderson and even Allaire when he was in there, they're tracking back and they're going back and playing so far on defense. They almost look like they're, you know, defending midfielders or left backs as far back as they've come. And you didn't see that as much in this match because you had those two back there. And there was kind of that, you know, it was a familiarity. I think we've seen that a lot last year. And I think just the comfortability of the two, knowing that, you know, Noble was back there and Rice is back there. It worked It worked well. Like you said, a lot of question marks coming into it. Um, and and they all worked out really well, luckily for Pellegrini. And uh, we win, we get three points, and he keeps his job. So it's uh, for now anyway. But, yeah, he it's, it's, all, it's all points up right now with the tough two matches coming up for sure. And before we get to those two matches, a couple little storylines you may have missed along the way. Um, actually, something not really a storyline. Declan Rice uh, on a ball. He four nows actually made a great play, a turn, a little step over, and then he got dragged back from behind. And he towed the ball forward, and Rice took it, beat the first tackle, and then uh, and then kept running on down the wing. And then he went to go put the ball into a layer at this point in time. 
And he went out for a corner. And he was right by the away fans. And Rice just gave the double fists up. Like, let's go. Like, come on, get in the crowd <laughs> fired up. And to me, against his best friend, Mason Mount, against the team that said, you're not good enough for us, uh, Declan Rice showing up there, having he had a stellar performance. You could cry out for him being man of the match and easily, uh, you know, be right on that one. He was awesome. It was vintage Declan Rice from what we saw last season a lot. Uh, he was great. He was patrolling the midfield, and he almost had the liberty to go forward with what you and I were talking about with Noble being uh, kept back a little bit more. And it's nice to see that. But uh, I, I was talking about storylines that that sort of popped up, and another. One was that when uh, Felipe Anderson was taken off, which I believe was the right move at the time, uh, mm-hmm. it was not the 60-minute sub for him, but instead it was the 71st-minute sub for, for Andre Yarmolenko, who replaced him as the number 10 and sort of second striker, which is interesting to see. Um, Anderson and Pellegrini sort of had it out on the sideline. Uh, and I, I use that term loosely, but... Is there anything to take from that, or do you think it's a positive, a negative? To me, it's a non-story. Uh, you probably didn't want to come off because you want to impact the game more, and you thought there was goals to be had, and he was probably upset about that and wonders why he's always the first man taken off, which is fair. Um, do you have any issue with it? No, I think, like you said, it's kind of a non-story, but at the same time, it does have a little bit... I don't have any issue with it, no, but I think it does show that Pellegrini maybe does have a little bite to him. I Cares, mean, you yeah. didn't... Yeah, you didn't see Anderson kind of mouth off to him and then, you know, Pellegrini not say anything. He went back to him and um, at least they, he cares and he's going to keep his opinion because, after all, he is the manager and he's going to run this and, and make the calls that he wants to do. And, um, yeah, I didn't see anything really – nothing really big story-worthy with that. But, yeah, like you said with Declan Rice, going back on that storyline, man, fantastic. A couple times you saw him and Mount get into it, got a little chippy, maybe not with – not verbally, but just physically, kind of playing each other Going really shoulder hard. To shoulder. And, yeah, and and that was cool to see. And man, just his aggression. And yeah, going through doing the player grades piece, I actually had uh, Declan Rice as the man of the match, and then I just couldn't not give it to Martin, <laughs> just with how everything went. But he had a fantastic match, and it was it was just great to see um, him kind of step up. And I think arguably, probably, I mean, he didn't score a goal, obviously, but one of his best matches in West Ham kit so far for me. Yeah, I I, I mean. I can't disagree with that either. He always rises to the to the opposition as well. Um, the last thing I want to talk about with you in this in this uh, part here is um, the last 15 minutes or so of the game when Chelsea really turned the pressure on. West Ham, I thought, made great substitution, which is another positive for Pellegrini, who has kind of failed at that. Uh, Yarmolenko to replace Anderson. Alera to replace Antonio. Mazuaku to replace Fornals, which we all got to see Mazuaku play in a more advanced role. Yes, it was only for you know, seven minutes plus stoppage time, but uh, it was, you know, he did have a, a fullback behind them, which was cool to see um, and shows the versatility of him as a sub. Regardless, uh, it seemed almost like, remember when Slavin Bilic was in charge? Uh, maybe this this is more reminiscent of the la- the first season at the London Stadium than the last season at the Bolin. Um, but we would see the, the, you know, the last subs that would come on would be Andy Carroll, if he wasn't already, to stop headers and Ginge Collins to come on and make it a back five. And that was basically, you know, he had one early sub that was uh, attacking-minded or midfield sub, and then he would bring on those guys to shut the game down and, you know, mm-hmm. welcome the crosses from the outside. 
deflect everything away. And my vote for man of the match went to Angelo Ogbonna. He had 10 clearances in this game, and you got to think eight of those at least came in the last 15 minutes. He was deflecting everything away, and Balbuena was terrific beside him. But did it seem reminiscent of maybe even Big Sam days at, at West Ham when, you know, it was more uh, if you get a lead, just protect it and try and get any points that you can? I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on, on how West Ham defended at the, at the end of the match? I thought they defended strong because I, I can't count the number of times you've seen crosses or corners that Chelsea had within the last like 10 minutes. And, every, you know, we're very suspect to both of those. Yeah. And uh, both times, I mean, every time it came in, it was getting kicked out. And like you mentioned, these 10 clearances, I think at least seven or eight of those were with his head. I mean, he was just, he was on fire. He was lights out, played really well. And I forget where I heard it, but kind of like a common denominator in all this is him. Is he... You know, having Angelo Ogbonna back there, regardless if it's Diop, regardless of it's if it's Balbuena, he kind of gels and kind of connects that center back position. And yeah, he played well. It was it was kind of reminiscent. It was good to see. It was uh, crazy stressful. I'll say that much. You kind of uh, to kind of give you a little insight on the on the Carson household that Please. you know Saturday mornings is is hectic with three little kids. And I try to be the nice husband, you know, let the wife sleep in and. Uh, so I got three little kids I'm dealing with trying to get breakfast and everything else rolling around. And I'm like, guys, I'm trying to watch this and all these crazy crosses and corners and everything else are happening. It was it was chaotic and hectic, but man, it was um, it was a good way to end out that match and definitely get those three points. I mean, they also sort of let out the secret now, which is basically if you want to kill Chelsea's game, just let William cross the ball to nobody for the last 10 <laughs> yeah. minutes and, and everything will be fine. Um, yep. so, so that's, that's it on our recap here. Um, maybe a word to bridge this into the Wolves game will basically be, do you think West Ham are a team, uh, that can build on the momentum that they, that they built in this match to sort of maybe get something out of an away match at, at Wolves? I think so. I think it's a big match and it's, it's somewhat, I mean, it is a London Derby air Derby. It's, it's, um, maybe not our biggest rival, but very important. You know, they were sitting high up on the table. We were not. It was good to get those points. The confidence is going to grow. Wolves is a solid side that aren't playing, I would say, maybe lights out right now. But, I mean, they are surviving. They got a lot of matches, too, because they're in the Europa League and they have that going on. But definitely, you know, long story short, I, I think it is a, it was a growing match. And, and it's got potential now. If you would have asked me last week, kind of, kind of in our negative state of where we were, I didn't think that we were going to get any points, maybe one out of these three matches. Now we've already had three and we have Wolves, which, I mean... I would rather still, play Wolves than Arsenal. It's going to be tough. Oh, sorry, yeah. I'd rather play Arsenal than Wolves yeah. as it stands. Yeah, this is, this is going to be the tougher of the two, I think. Um, we'll see. I mean, it is an away match, and I think it, your typical old West Ham style, we kind of get up more sometimes for an away match anyway. But Wolves is going to want to... kind of They're going to want to bounce back because they've had, like I said, they've been kind of down and getting some draws here and there, but it hasn't been their best last couple of weeks. So I think that all in all, it's going to be tough. But yeah, this match, this past match can definitely boost things going forward. And, and kind of a surprise, I mean, I, I kind of thought the same way that you did about about Wolves. They had a really bad start to the season, but they're on 20 points now. And their last five matches, it's been a draw, two wins, and then two draws. So they're picking up points. And they played Sheffield United. They actually... Um, conceded a goal i think within the first two minutes of the game in that one mm-hmm. uh, and you pointed out in your piece uh, which actually i want you to go in further depth on in a second here uh it was it was via cross but um something about wolves they play the the three at the back formation 
They counterattack really, really fast and, and with a ton of pace uh, out wide as well with their with their wing backs or their wide midfielders, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have strikers and players like Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez who can finish as well. Um, eh, Traore is a bit of a sloppy finisher, more of an Antonio type. But uh, <laughs> Raul Jimenez, Diego Jota is is a terrific player as well. So they have that potency in the final third. And then you have people like Jean Moutinho and Ruben Neves who are, who are pulling the strings in the midfield. So it's it's a team that is going to really press West Ham, West Ham and they'll, they'll counterattack and they'll attack quicker than Chelsea will. But uh, I think where West Ham can neutralize them is in Pellegrini ball. I think this is one of the perfect matches for that with this new formation that's slightly been tweaked with two holding midfielders. Stack the midfield, break down their counterattacks and hold onto the ball because when Wolves don't have the ball, uh, they can't they can't counterattack on you as well. Obviously, that's a dumb statement, but they're a team that's built off that speed. So, if West Ham can hold the ball, and also if they can try and win corner kicks and set pieces and put the ball over the top, Wolves are extremely beaten down at center back right now. I know Leander Dendonker was starting at center back for them, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a naturally a midfielder. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity. There was also, uh, I believe, a Premier League debut for their other center back um, against uh, against Sheffield on the weekend. I'm sorry, I'm pulling up their I'm pulling up their, their team here. So there's. You know, there is Kilman was his name. Uh, Cody is mm-hmm. in the middle, and then Donker was the right-sided center back in that three at the back formation. Uh, but they, they, you know, they are susceptible. We can take them down. We can beat them. Rui Patricio is a great keeper. He tends to in the two matches they had last season against West Ham. Patricio stole the stole the match. I thought in both of them. Uh, but West Ham have the quality to to be able to take down this team. Uh, you did a piece about how you know West Ham can live and die with the cross in this game. What is your what is your breakdown of how crossing can be important for, for either team in this one or how West Ham can prioritize it? I think you can prioritize it. You look back, I think, I was trying to remember what match it was. I can't remember if it was the, right around the Watford match when, when they're crossing the ball really well. And not even just crossing, but just having a lot of really solid long passes coming in. Like you had uh, before mentioned, it was like a minute, I don't even know if it was a minute 50 into that game. And uh, yeah, Sheffield had already gone up just because of a nice cross that went in and kind of like you mentioned with Dundalker and the other center back that had played, they kind of, it was, they were having some, they were having really a struggle just kind of defending it and they just chipped it in. And I think that we need to take advantage of that. Um, well, kind of both. We need to take advantage of it and we need to be careful for it. Cause you know, as well as anybody else oh, that we yeah. kind of struggle with corners and crosses and with that formation that you just talked about, they're kind of wing backs. And then you got other guys like Troy or they, they, they can get up, the side of the pitch and they can cross the ball in really well besides you know that initial like two minute push that Sheffield had Wolves I think they dominated a lot of that match they looked really well and and Sheffield's been doing what Sheffield's been doing yeah but crosses have come into that play and same thing with Wolves they scored on a cross in that match it was a beautiful cross and it was beautifully played in there wasn't anything Sheffield could really do about it and I think that's too on the opposite side of things where we need to be careful as was West Ham is just not getting susceptible to that and, and playing solid gelling together because if they play the same kind of formation and they play the same way we did against Chelsea, I think it will be fine. I think that having Rice and Noble back there to kind of really pack in, um, you know, our half of the ball, especially when it gets into the box and the other team's going to be trying to score they're they're going to do well with that. But it's definitely something that maybe sometimes isn't really thought about as a cross kind of winning and losing by it, but it can definitely happen in this match because 
I think two, um, I was pulling off the stats and I should know because I just wrote it last night, but, um, I, I think it like over, it was over like 40% of, uh, of Wolves goals have come on like a counter and a lot of them have come in from crosses. So it's definitely part of their match is what they like to play. They're pacey up and down and, and that's going to be a lot on our guys too, is, to, is keeping up with that pace because they are a very quick and pacey team, maybe even more so than Chelsea is. Yeah, I, I really agree with that, especially that lineup Chelsea put out with with uh, Pedro and Giroud. You're not going to get a ton of counterattacking speed there, even if Pulisic and Mount are, are in the midfield and, and at wide. But uh, I want to know your thoughts on on my predicted team. The article's coming out, uh, it may be today when you're hearing this. It'll be on match day in the morning. Um, but I was in two minds about the team, which I usually am, and it's reliant on the system that they'll set up in. Um, so let me know if you have any thoughts player by player as I go through this about um, the team that's going to be facing Wolves. So to start in goal, we have Martin. Mm-hmm. Fredericks yep. at right back. Ogbonna and Balbuena at center back. And Cresswell at left back. Any changes, issues with the back four? No, not at all. Question, does Diop come back in or do you keep him out just for the sake of the team won and looked really strong defensively? I think it goes in the kind of scenario of that. You keep him out. Not because maybe he's not as good as Balbuena, but the team looked good, so keep going with a good thing. He also has played in every match this season for West Ham outside of uh, the last one he was suspended for, so he, he could probably use the rest a little bit, mm-hmm. and it may help refocus him. Um, also, I love uh, – it's a great follow. He doesn't do a ton, but uh, Issa Diop on Instagram and Twitter and social media is great. He is all about West Ham. He loves London. He loves England. He loves <laughs> West Ham, and he's always pumping the club up. Same with Felipe Anderson, really. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so I know it'll be that we all know Diop is the future of this club at center back. Um, he's been awesome this season. He got, uh, wrongfully. So he, he got, uh, he, he got suspended from Harry Kane being a diver, uh, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, okay. So we move on, uh, holding midfield two of rice and noble stays unchanged. Any issues with that? No, not at all. No. Now this is where the biggest change comes. I suppose to finish off the team. I have Snodgrass on the right side, Anderson in the middle, Fornells on the left, and Allaire up top, meaning the whole team is exactly the same other than Antonio being switched out for Allaire. Um, my thought process behind that is he picked up a little twinge in whether there's actually any validity to that or not. Uh, you don't want to play him this close in succession. Uh, we saw what you know he tore his hamstring when it happened earlier this season in the cup game, so uh give Antonio the rest he can he can have Saturday till Monday off and come in and, and be fine without training him most likely but let him rehab that that slight twinge and, and just basically keep him on the bench if you need him perhaps but if not you can drop him uh but my main hang up here was should West Ham try and be unpredictable and go with a 4-4-2 or 4-2 if you will and basically line up with a holding midfield duo and then have either uh, Anderson on the left side, Snodgrass on the right, and then up top have, uh, you can either have Yarmolenko, maybe Anderson and Fornals could come in as that second striker or Jetty come in as the second striker. Do you, does the team, does it make sense to set up like that? And do you think Pellegrini would take a risk to do that? Would he, or would he stay, you know, closer to, to what he's doing now? I think I think he's probably going to stay closer to what he's doing now, and I think the lineup that you have is good because you know you don't want to bring Antonio back in, like you said. Even if he didn't pick up a knock or anything, he is coming off of a long time off and a long injury. You don't want to play him this close in succession. 
I think that bringing Allaire back from the bench, giving him, you know, a week to kind of think about, okay, I'm not actually just going to start because, you know, I'm coming in and I was a record signing, you know, I have to kind of get back to it. So I think getting him to focus again. And plus the midfield, yeah, it was kind of like, I guess maybe a four, two, three, one is kind of on paper what it looked like, but really those three in the midfield were kind of all over the place. I mean, sometimes you would see for more in and maybe Anderson out and same with Snodgrass. You never know where, or Bob's going to be. He's all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm excited. I like what you put because I think that if Allaire does come in and he does start, we haven't really seen a whole lot of Anderson in a number 10 role kind of behind Allaire. And we talk all the time about Allaire being kind of left alone and, and he's kind of, you know, got to fend for himself and, and good hold up play because he has to. But we haven't really seen Anderson behind him. Maybe that is something, maybe a bit of a change or a spark that might come into play a little bit maybe with the two at the back with noble and rice back there alaire doesn't have to come back as far so we don't have to count on him as much to hold on to the midfield and we can use anderson more so i like that i actually i mean no shock that i would agree with everything that you said but <laughs> um yeah i think it's great i would i would not want to start antonio and really that leaves either you know a yeti or alaire and you're not going to start a yeti i mean he still needs time to grow I think like, kind of like you said, pre-pod, he's had like 90 total minutes of time. So he's definitely doesn't, he doesn't have enough yet and he needs more time to grow. So, yeah, I think starting out there and, and letting, you know, kind of seeing what can happen with Anderson behind him instead of off to the wing is is big. I know two up front, a lot of people are crying for that. Um, if you did a 4-4-2 or a 4-2, which we love, I think you'd have to do the 4-2 because you still want to have those two defending midfielders back there. We saw that that worked and against wolves you're going to need more bodies back there with the way that they counter and the way they attack so i, I don't know if this is the match to bring two up front or to kind of play the same way that you're doing but alaire and anderson would be fun to see together i, I completely agree but I, I think i think you're right in this in the sense that we're going to see anderson in that number 10 role and Fornals at wide left but it's going to be an unchanged team other than alaire up top but it's interesting i I read something today that, you know, uh, I forget the journalist's name, but he was commenting on why Allaire has been, quote-unquote, a flop at West Ham so far, and uh, he hasn't scored since August, so you can maybe start putting him into that territory, although he's not being written off by anybody by any means. But he, according to this journalist, was allowed to just focus on attacking. Didn't have to come back, didn't have to run hard to coming back to defend. He was just focused on getting goals at Frankfurt. Maybe that's the German the German league that's a little bit different. Maybe the expectations were different. Maybe West Ham being, quote-unquote, in a relegation battle uh, with how open the table is. Uh, maybe that's the difference with it. But I don't think any player has the right to not cover back on defense. He, when, you're, when you're playing defense, you're trying to win the ball back to then go and score. That's your goal. So in an essence... You know, every player, especially attackers, should be pitching in on defensive coverage because if you don't have the ball, you can't score. And it's it's a bit ridiculous to, to call him a flop this early, but also to ping it on him having to play football because he's a flop. Like the game, the game is there's two sides to the game. Whether you have the ball or the opponents have the ball, I don't think Alaire is really put off by that. I think we've seen him get frustrated with lack of service, but. Look at the service that we had against Chelsea. There was enough balls into the box for Antonio that Allaire would be able to make some magic out of those as well. So I don't know. I'm not buying into him being a flop. I'm not buying into him being disheartened. It's a new league, different opposition. It's the quote unquote, the best league in the world, most competitive league in the world. Uh, And, you know, look at the table as it stands right now in the Premier League. Like things are completely up in the air with how 
teams are shaking out. Right now, Crystal Palace, because they have a game played, is sitting in fifth ahead of Tottenham, but also Wolves and Sheffield United. Wolves promoted two seasons ago. Sheffield United promoted last season, uh, this season, sorry, Wolves last season, are sitting above Arsenal, Man United, West Ham, you know, Newcastle. And then in the, in the relegation zone, you have, you know, Norwich, who were the best out of the championship teams last season, sitting there and looking dejected. While Southampton's down there and Everton's two points off of being in the relegation zone. Like, this league's nuts, man. And, and you just don't know what's going to happen with it. Maybe the pressures of there being no games off, there being no Colm, or there being no, uh, you know, I don't even know a team that got relegated last season from, from uh, Bundesliga that maybe aren't putting up that fight week in, week out. I mean... Look at Lewandowski. He's an exceptional talent, but he's scoring goals. Mm-hmm. He's scoring scoring more goals than teams have. And we're three months into the season now. So I don't know. Maybe it's just four months, sorry, into the fifth month. Maybe it's just a different acclimation. But I don't want to give up on Allaire. I don't think anybody does. And I don't think he's also given up on playing football for this team. No, I think the only way he's a flop is if, you know, all you're doing is playing FIFA and he hasn't scored for you since August. And then you're like, what the hell? I paid a lot of money for this guy to come in and, it's it's not realistic. I, I I can't remember where I read it, and it was somebody that was big into analytics um, that talked about kind of on average it takes about twelve matches for somebody coming from a non EPL league to kind of get used to the EPL and you finally getting to see kind of the who they really are. And if you look at you know go back to Anderson, I think that's pretty true. Allaire, I mean we're going to see four Niles, we're going to see how this kind of comes into play but yeah the Bundesliga is a little bit different style and the Bundesliga is not as deep as the Premier League you don't have teams that are in a relegation battle that are are beating you know somebody that's sitting in third or fourth you kind of have the top tier teams and then after that it kind of it definitely drastically shifts off compared to more what it does in the Premier League so I think we're all around it's just stronger competition you can look at any point in time I mean Everton's sitting right there at 17th but Everton could play you know City and look good against City you know, Brighton, which Brighton are kind of in the mix and they're in the middle, but Brighton go ahead and draw City or draw was it City or sorry. Ooh, don't who did they draw last week? Like I know, right? I put myself on the spot. But they just whoever they drew last week was you wouldn't have just imagined that to happen. So Brighton actually lost two one to, to Liverpool last week. Liverpool, that's right. They were drawing with them and then yeah, that's what it was. Yes. Um so yeah, you don't see that like in other leagues really, unless just, you know, craziness happens. But Premier League's nuts, like you said. He's not a flop. Um, yeah, we spent a lot of money for him, and yes, he is a striker, and we're supposed to expect a lot of goals. But you got to give him time. I think somebody like him, you got to give, you got to give a whole year, and then if we go into next year and still, I mean, he's not scoring, then yes, then he's a flop. Then you can call it that. But right now, it's it's definitely too soon. Uh, before we move on here, actually, maybe not. Uh, score predictions, not score predictions, but we'll say match predictions. You don't have to give me an actual number. We have a piece, of course, coming out uh, on match day with our predictions, so look out for that on GreenStreetHammers.com. Um, do you think West Ham stand a chance in this one, or do you think that uh, Wolves are going to overpower them with their speed and pace? I think that we do. I, I think the the main reason that we do is both teams are coming off a short week. Uh, they have a lot of pace, and that's what they play off of, but their guys are going to be tired. I think that they're going to be tired, and we have – we have kind of, you know, as I joked, it's calling Mazawaku a super sub, but we have people like him that can come in late in the match and can kind of qualm down that that pace. And hopefully just with the um, with the high that we're kind of riding off of this last match, we can use that tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this um, to to go ahead and maybe maybe not win, but to at least uh, play well against Wolves. 
Yeah, I'm of the same mind. I think it all comes down to possession. Uh, and if the defense keeps the form that they had against uh, Chelsea, I don't care about a, a scoring goals right now. If West Ham can shore up their defense, goals will come, and uh, they took a, a really positive step against Chelsea. So I think we we have the ability and the depth over Wolves right now, specifically right now, to uh, to, to to beat them. So I'm I'm excited and, and hopeful for that. Um, we as always, where we end the episode with uh hammers polls questions and we're going to have a quick look ahead to arsenal as well for the monday match but uh the west ham way podcast the ever informative west ham way podcast just finished uh recording and is live and there's news coming out on twitter from x uh who has uh who has been kind enough to share that on his program so we'll go over some topics as that of, of that as well um in this next part here first and foremost Mark Noble and Mikel Antonio will face late fitness tests ahead of the game against Wolves. Both players are expected to be okay in feature via ex-West Ham U employee. Um, we both said we wouldn't risk starting Antonio, but uh, Noble is a, is a must-start if he's fit, right? Yeah, absolutely. If he's fit and he can play, he's got to play. Um, we don't have anybody else that can really fill into that role to play alongside Rice that uh, I'd be comfortable with at the moment. Uh, the next piece of news, the win against Chelsea saved Manuel Pellegrini's job for the time being. Um, that may have just been a verbiage uh, selection there. Save for the time being suggests that it maybe bought him a little bit of life. But if, if this trend doesn't get bucked of West Ham being lifeless and predictable and, you know, disjointed, then for sure, you know, he's not safe. I think that's that's obviously the context of this. Uh, does that surprise you to see him get a little bit of uh, breathing room after the Chelsea match? No, I think that it was a good match and his decisions going into the pre-match and even with the substitutions, they played out well. So I think that it's it's definitely bought him some more time. But uh, like you said, and I, I said it last night on Three Men in a Box, I think that if we go ahead and lose to Wolves and we lose to Arsenal, then his job's still up. I'm not – I guess there's really – Tony said it funny on the, uh, um, on the uh, American West End way. Um, podcast or West MY USA. Sorry, I'm trying not to butcher that up, but uh, he said it best on there. He's like, "Is there an option for kind of like you know Pellegrini takes a break?" I'm not really uh, Pellegrini out, but I'm still not really Pellegrini in. Um, definitely not Pellegrini gone and then bringing in just kind of like a placeholder until the end of the season. I think that would be a mistake. But yeah, if we keep winning, then yeah, sure. But I think that always throughout the rest of this year, if we get on another slump where we lose, you know, consecutively and we don't look good for a month and a half, then, uh, I mean, his job's definitely not safe. And I think all this is predicated on how West Ham play. If West Ham play hard mm-hmm. and lose to Wolves and lose to Arsenal, but they look motivated, they, they actually gave effort on the pitch, they, they looked how they did not look against their previous opposition uh, running through the last couple months, then there's also a different tinge of you know safety there as well. It's a mentality thing with the club right now, so I agree with you. I'm not in or out. I'm basically – I was firmly out, but the Chelsea match, much like it has to the board, has sort of made me say, okay, let's see what he can do because if you drop Manuel Pellegrini, you can't get him back, and we don't know if there's necessarily a better option out there right now. So I'm of that sure. mindset as well. Let me uh, let me ahead. ask you a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. Oh God! Uh, you just mentioned um, you know if we play hard and we lose. Talk about this this kind of up and down roller coaster that you have of West Ham. I'm gonna the, the spot putting you on the spot is gonna mm-hmm. be when have you seen us? I guess recently play hard but still not win. Oh God, that's a good question. 
Yeah. Um, tough to I say. Yeah. Like, I, if I look back at the season, I don't even know if there's been a result in the season for West Ham where I was like, oh, they, they played hard and they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> let me have a look here. Certainly not against anyone like like Everton, Palace, the you know Oxford, the, the teams that beat West Ham to kick them off on this awful, awful match. I think one of the one of the matches, and maybe it's a cop out because West Ham did lose. Uh, that match eventually was against Bour- uh, Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago when mm-hmm. uh, Callum Wilson scored the handball. I think mm-hmm. West Ham went down a few times and they actually came back and then it, we were undone by refereeing and, and overturned decisions. And, you know, everyone was crying for VAR, by the way, when that happened. Uh, <laughs> but there was a never say die attitude to that. Actually, here, I'll give you a better example. Uh, it was two years ago, January. Uh, West Ham were playing West Brom. This is not the last time. It's just one that's in my in my mind because it's the only West Ham match I've been to in person. Uh, West Ham okay. were playing West Brom. Rainy night, January. And West Ham went down early. Deflected shot from... Uh, who, who would it have been by? I can't even remember. It may have been... Uh, I'm not, oh, it was Matt Ritchie. That's who it was because I know that I hated his face. It was Matt Ritchie. A deflected shot went uh, from his... He shot the ball, went off the defender, and bounced over Adrian and Nett, and they they went down 1-0, and then they went down 2-0. I can't remember the second goal against, but uh, in the second half, so it was just 1-0. It was just down 1-0. Sorry, I'm I'm misremembering. Uh, In the second half, uh, West Ham brought on, (laughs) they had a front three comprised of Chicharito, Andy Carroll, and uh, Marko Arnautovic. And a ball came in down the left. Uh, a ball came in off the wing. Cresswell whipped across in. Carroll outmuscled two defenders. Johnny Evans specifically headed it in. Boom, we're level. And then in the 90, there was four extra minutes. Uh, in the 94th minute, Lanzini picked up the ball at the halfway line. He'd been stopped twice ridiculously uh, previously in the game. He went down the left wing. And the entire stadium, you could feel it. They knew something was coming. Went down the left wing. He crossed the ball. Too far for Hernandez, too close for Arnautovic, and the keeper bit on both of those players. And on the far post, Andy Carroll, at a near impossible angle, came sliding in and scored the goal to win it at the death of the game. Adrian came sprinting (laughs) down the sidelines. I was hugging strangers. I didn't even know. High-fiving people, (laughs) jumping up. Alicia had no idea, you know, what to do at that point in time because it was just absolutely – it was just like crazy – the craziest celebration. People screaming and yelling. Uh, and it was just, it was again that, you know, that, that belief that the scoreline isn't reflecting this, but we are better than how we're playing right now. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it was so inspiring to just watch as a fan because you were like, these, these guys are caring more as much as I do on the sidelines right now. And like, it was unbelievable. Um, sorry. I, I just had like verbal explosion there all over the mic, but that, that's no, the West Ham way, like never giving up, never quitting. Uh, you know, even like look at Burnley today. They lost four-one uh, to City, but they got the last goal. And what Brady scored it. What did he do? He banged it in the net, turned around, and ran back. Like, all right, let's go score three more and tie this mm-hmm. up in like the 90th minute. So that's that's what I like. That's that like grittiness that I love to see. So maybe that's I want just that effort of them not conceding and putting their heads down. No, I agree. And, and the reason I brought that up is because I mean. I think maybe in the last couple of weeks we haven't really seen that. It's been we've we've lost and not played well, but soulless. they haven't really. Yeah, it's been soulless. I mean, give me, give me, you know, a solid match, and if we lose, we lose. And I don't know. I don't know if Pellegrini's safe, even if we do that. But 
yeah, I just want to see that again. You know, you hear about the West Ham way, like, oh, we, we beat the teams we should lose to, and we lose to the teams that we should beat. But it's also, man, playing out there. And you, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, they care, seeing players that care just as much as we do when we go to watch this match. is That's the heart and soul of this club. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully we can see, keep up. I mean, but, yeah, sorry. I put you on the spot, but you did well. <laughs> um, another piece of news, actually, to uh, Akpom. Uh, the striker, apparently there's no serious interest in that player. And as well, uh, the club are losing uh, patience with uh, Mario Silios as the director of football. It could just be that a better options come along uh, with the director of football from uh, who, who has recently tra- helped transform Leicester. So maybe that's maybe that's what uh, what their eyes are, are falling on right here. So you never know. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Before we jump into our, you know, usual end, which is Hammers Pulls Questions, uh, it, it's uh, Eduardo Masia. That's the director of football who was at Leicester. And that's who we are interested in. Um, and X said we're considering him. So there you go. That would be great. Mm. Um, okay, let's stray away from their content and let's stick to our own or at least one we're affiliated with. And Hammers Polls questions at Hammers Polls on Twitter. This is Lena Starr, and you are listening to the Green Street Hammers. Uh, the first one we answered it already. Does Diop come back in against Wolves? You say no, I say no. Is that right? Yep. 81% of people agree with us. Uh, that's pretty fair. Um, given West Ham's turn in form and you know this squad needs, would you recall Grady D in Ghana in January? He has four goals and five assists in 16 matches for West Brom. Yes or no? I'm still sitting on no. I think giving him a full season to kind of play the way he's playing right now is going to do just amazing things for him and his confidence and his ability. So even as as much as we might need him to come back, look the one. <clears throat> sorry, the one thing you don't want to do is to bring him back and then he loses that. You know what I mean? The confidence goes away. He has a bad spell, and then you're kind of back to the gravy that we had last season um, that was still kind of growing. I want I want to see him stay on loan and. And just keep it growing and, and have this dude come back from loan that's just on fire and ready to go. I'm with you there as well. I, I think keep him in West Brom. He's he's a you know an almost lock to be a starter every week. And I turned on the match yesterday where they won uh, with a shady penalty at the end. But uh, I watched the first couple minutes at the start of the second half. Diangana not a minute in had a ball that was perfectly whipped in the in the box and no one could get to it in time but it was perfectly out of the reach of the defenders and keepers. And you, you want to nourish that and keep that going. And in sitting on the bench isn't going to do that right now. So we agree, you and I. Uh, okay, does Mario Husilios deserve to be sacked? I don't know. I don't know if he deserves to be sacked. I mean, he's he's had very little time. I shouldn't say very little, but <clears throat> he hasn't had a lot of time to kind of perfect his plan. And I know some of them haven't. Some of his signings haven't panned out. I mean, i.e. Roberto. We wanted um, ahead of Fabianski. Who we wanted ahead of Fabianski, yeah. So, but in in the in the game of football, you, you that happens, right? There's a lot of things that you might see somebody on paper or see them play somewhere else that it doesn't pan out. I mean, when we brought this has nothing to do with Cecilios, but when we brought Zaha in a couple of years ago, we all thought that like, oh man, like we're bringing this guy in and he's going to look solid. He looked terrible. I mean, absolutely horrific. So, I think that. Um, there's not Zaha. I said Zaha, but Zaha. you know what I'm talking Zaza. about Simon Zaza. Zaza. Yeah, it's been a long day, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe not necessarily deserves it. But if there is a better option out there and we want to continue to grow, then yeah, go for that. But as far as deserve it, I'll say no. 
we also know that there's behind the scenes David Sullivan does still like to pull some strings when it comes to, to transfer players. And apparently mm-hmm. Issa Diop was scouted by the Sullivans and as well, Ryan Fredericks was already negotiated before the regime came in. So mm. um, if you look at our signings, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot like the, like the record signing at the time was Diop. Uh, and that was a Sullivan signing. But then you look at the, the $35 million for, for Philippe Anderson and the $45 million for Allaire, and you have £90 million pounds there. Again, you have two great players, but it doesn't take a genius to pay £45 million pounds for a great player. Um, mm. It may take a genius to pluck somebody out of the out of obscurity and, and make them you know someone to watch, which is kind of what happened with, with uh, Madison at... Uh, uh, at Leicester, so you never know. Maybe, maybe there's a, maybe it's just the better attractive option that's making Lucilio's uh, his job look less secure. Uh, Eighty, sorry, sixty percent say no. He does not deserve to be sacked. Um, should Pellegrini take the FA Cup seriously this year and play full strength against? Uh, I think it's Gillingham. Gillingham. Uh, Gillingham. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, I think. We, we all realize as West Ham fans that one of the only ways we're ever going to get into Europe or have a more solid possibility is by winning the FA Cup. Get some silverware. Get some silverware. And you already see the third round, but you have matches like Wolves going against Man United. So that's a solid team already getting kicked out. There was another match, or a draw, that was two other solid teams as well, both Premier League sides that are already draw with, or drew with each other, which is crazy for the third round. So that's going to be two good teams are already kicked out and it's FA cup. There's always going to be magic. So you always got to be kind of a rear and a ready to go, but yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, I would almost maybe at times put more effort into the FA cup match than that weekend's premier league match. And I guess it depends on where we're at in the table, but yeah, I completely hundred percent. Yeah. I, and what, so what better time to do it too, coming off of like, you know, we're coming off of the anniversary or not the anniversary, but we had the anniversary kits, of when the last time we did win the FA Cup and everything like that. So it would just be it'd be a cool story. The story's written itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no excuse not to. And instead of starting a young lineup or an inexperienced lineup to give them minutes and, and time to develop, start a strong lineup and then use your three subs to get your most important players on the pitch, whether that's a jetty after we go a goal or two up or Nathan Holland if he's still around in January to give him that time. Uh, you know, you get get the lead and then slack slack off the minutes to to some younger or inexperienced guys. Don't do it the other way around. Uh, that would be my hope. Um, okay, okay. Uh, this one comes from us. Oh, retweeted by Hammers Pulls. Uh, not quite the midway mark of the season, but who's your hammer of the year so far? Uh, Rice, Ogbonna, Cresswell, or other? Five hundred fifty nine votes, uh, and uh, I would love to know who you had. Yeah, so far it would be Agbana for me. Dude's been lights out, the kind of renaissance season, I guess, if you will. And I think somebody wrote about that for us as well. It just kind of lights out how he has turned things around and has really performed well. And, I mean, you have so much inconsistency in all the other positions. And, I mean, Fabianski you would want to throw in there, but, you know, he's been out. Nothing to his fault, but Agbana's really stepped up and played well. 
yeah, and I think we saw a huge drop in form when he was taken out of the team for Balbuena. So um, I agree with you. I don't think it's even really all that close, and the poll wasn't as well. Uh, almost 600 votes and 52% had picked Ogbonna with Rice coming in at 35%. So uh, that one's pretty straightforward. I think he, he's just looked like a younger, better version of himself, which is great. <laughs> he used to be so nervy. you think he'd give up a penalty every time, uh, every time mm-hmm. he was starting, but love to see the transformation. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Let's 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 finish with this one here. Uh, Hammers polls question: What were the result be when West Ham play Wolves on Wednesday night? West Ham win, Wolves win, score draw or goalless? Mm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go back to my optimistic ways and say that West Ham win. I'm going to go with that one. Love it. I I, I got a score draw. I said two two, um, in what could be a cracker. But uh, as far as Voting is concerned. It's very, very close. Uh, 2% say goalless. Uh, outside of that, West Ham win 34%. Wolves win 34%. Score draw 30%. Uh, so <laughs> pretty crazy across the board there. Um, let's end on this. Uh, West Ham play Arsenal on Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know if you're in England uh, or across the world, that's different for you. However, I will be running home from work to catch this one uh, and, and perhaps maybe bunking off a little early if possible. But West Ham have the ability to crawl out of the basement and actually, depending on how they do against Wolves and how Arsenal does midweek as well, has the chance to leapfrog them and even propel themselves further into the top of the table. As we said, West Ham, uh, 14 games played, are sitting at 16 points, but three, three points against Wolves would see us go one point behind them. And then another three against Arsenal would see us, you know, possibly skyrocket up the table into the European contention spots. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Tottenham and Man United get on this weekend in the Mourinho Bowl, but uh, just to see how those uh, quote unquote top six sides shake out. But uh, Arsenal are a tricky team. They have really, really, they're almost similar to West Ham in a sense. They have really, really talented players but they can't seem to get anything going on the pitch. When they score, it seems like it's a one-off, and their defense at times is shambolic. Uh, I don't think there's a better time to play Arsenal, but are you co- are you more confident of West Ham playing and getting a result against Arsenal or Wolves? Just because of where Arsenal is right now, I would say them. And you're absolutely right. They, I am, I'm, I'm shocked at how kind of poor they've played and how poor they've been. I have a buddy that's a huge Arsenal supporter, and he's never really, I can say huge, he hasn't been around forever, but he hasn't really been around and the Arsenal years where they haven't been, you know, top and, and beating everybody or, or playing really well. So this is shocking to him. It's great to see. It's always it's always fun whenever you see a, a side like that, maybe not playing lights out like they normally are. But yeah, just I'm at shocked at what at uh, at how poor they have been. I mean, they probably they got a draw last weekend, I believe, and I think even um, in that they probably shouldn't even have had that. So I think that Southampton were, had them on strings, man. It was bad. yeah. Yeah, it was it was not a good game for them. So, yeah, I'm definitely more nervous about tomorrow's match, but excited to see what happens. And and if I I do honestly think that if we can play the way that we did against Chelsea, then there's no reason that we shouldn't win both of these. However, with that being said, you know, just recently we've seen us not play that way, so that could come back out too. But I like to think on the positive side of things and, and think that we'll see at least. Um, a few points. Now I change my predictions all the time, uh, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, it would be great to see at least four points come out of these next two matches. Yeah, I, I think the Wolves match is so pivotal because it is a kind of a measuring stick game. Wolves are on good form. West Ham are trying to get back in good form and trying to get momentum going. And you can basically go like 
look up Nick Foles' nickname because that's what you can go against Arsenal mm-hmm. if you get a midweek result against Wolves because Arsenal are a team that's behind Wolves, much like West Ham, underperforming. They just sacked their manager, uh, and then they got a draw against uh, Southampton. So there's not a lot going right for this team right now, and sometimes the players will carry you forward, but when your team is made up of luxury players and you don't have that spine, like they're, they're, they're hoping that... Matteo Ganduzzi sets their team straight and gets them playing like Arsenal. Like who who on this Arsenal team is going to say, you know, let's get together, guys. Let, let, let's strap it on and and you know, let's let's actually be uh, you know a functioning team. Let's put together a good match. Like let, let's look at their. They, sorry, it was it was Norwich who they drew against, a team that sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. they had Pierre Emerick Aubameyang celebrating a drawing penalty with a front flip, uh, which people laughed at. But they're conceding shots on target. They're holding on the ball and doing nothing with it, but their lineup for this match. Tell me who's a leader on the pitch here. Burt Leno, Siad Kolasinac, David Luiz, uh, Mustafi, Col- uh, Chambers, Granite Xhaka, Ganduzi, Ozil, Willock, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Show me a leader. You know, it should be Ozil. Ozil should be that, but, you know, they've he's kind of... He's been shit on by the club for the last He's been years. shit on by so much that there's no way that's going to happen, right? You look at Xhaka... And maybe I think isn't Jaka their I guess technically their captain. He was but, he was dropped from from the leadership yeah. group after throwing his jersey yeah. to the ground because the the fans were ha- unhappy so, with how the team was playing and taking it out on him. Right. So uh, yeah. Once again, other than those two, who who have either been shit on or have shit on themselves, have have not played it off well. And other than that, you don't. I mean, like you said, he's celebrating a, a penalty with a front flip or a back flip or whatever flip it was against a team that you should be blowing out and you're drawing them and looking like you should have lost in all honesty. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad times and that's just the craziness of the EPL. We've talked about it at the beginning of this and you mentioned it as well. It's just crazy how this season's kind of panning out. You, you see Leicester up at the top and then you see Arsenal and United and clubs like that, that are just really kind of failing and just kind of stringing it along. It's, it's, it's nuts. And, it's good to see. It, it really is good to see, but it, it it just adds extra craziness to it for sure. And like going down their bench here as well. Like like listen to the characters they have. Kieran Tierney, new player. Socrates, psychopath, also second season I think with with mm-hmm. uh, with Arsenal. Lucas Torreira, second year, can't get off the bench. Nicolas Pepe, under firing, eighty million pound star, mm-hmm. can't get off the bench. Uh, Emiliano Martinez, don't know who he is. I think that's your backup keeper to be honest. Mm-hmm. Gabriel mm-hmm. Martinelli, young striker who looks like a good talent. But he's stuck on the bench. And Bukayo Saka, another young player who's stuck on the bench. There's no characters on this team. Like, there, there's no players that say. There's like, look when you look at uh, when you look at Liverpool, for example. You know, Jordan Henderson and James Milner are gonna are gonna batter you in the midfield. They're gonna be a team. They're gonna be the guys who sort of remind their other players what it means to play for Liverpool. And they have a strong leader in Klopp as well who does that. But mm-hmm. look look at our bench. Uh, Albin Ajedi, new player. Pablo Zabaleta, the most well-respected right-back in, in Premier League history. Andre Yarmolenko, uh, international and tied for second on goals for the team. Roberto, uh, d- disgrace. Carlos Sanchez, <laughs> disgrace. Sebastian Lair, 45 million pound new striker. Arthur Mazuaku, international in Africa and should be contending with our first team. And then you look at our team. Ogbonna, he's a leader. Mark Noble, he's a leader. Cresswell, leader. Snodgrass, leader. Rice, future leader. Antonio, character. I don't know if you saw this, but Rice had his arm around the referee in the midfield chalk, talking about something. Snodgrass mm-hmm. is giving it to the ref, and they're actually having a conversation. Noble actually does that as well. And Ogbonna telling the Chelsea fans to relax when David Martin's hurt from taking a head to the chest at the end of the game. Like, 
you have leaders on this team that I think any Arsenal fan, they will never, ever admit to it. If they had one player on their team that had the heart of Mark Noble, they'd be a top six team right now. I think I think with Arsenal, and I know this isn't an Arsenal podcast, but hey, they, like you said, they have a lot of young guys. They're not young, but young to the team. They have a lot of players that are good. They have the traits and the abilities, but they their one issue is they like to play for themselves. Yep. They're about they're not about the team, and they're not about the other players that are on it. And and you look at the one guy, like we said with Ozil, who should be that leader, who should be that Mark Noble, and he doesn't care anymore. And why should he? I mean, he's been completely screwed over time and time again by club and country and everything else that to where you know that one guy that you had that opportunity to kind of grow things around it is no more and now you have a, you have 11 guys out there playing for themselves and that's not going to work and that's why you are shocked to see the ability that they have um but that's why they're not playing well right now so it is a really good time like you mentioned it with wolves it's kind of a good time to play wolves just with you know coming off of a short week and they have a lot going on right now, and they maybe aren't playing at their best. And their depth and it's is a really, Yeah, it's a really good time to play Arsenal, too, because they have question marks, if not probably more than we do. And we capitalized earlier this season doing the same thing against Manchester United. So, mm-hmm. you know, West Ham are a team that can capture lightning in a bottle here. So uh, I, I'm... I'm I've talked myself into being confident, but I'm not. I'm not <laughs> expecting anything. I'm just confident that I know we have the players that. When I look at a team like Arsenal and I think about like having character, I, I would take the character of West Ham's players over even like the way Fornells gets gets committed into these tackles. He took an elbow to the head uh, mm-hmm. and was down on the pitch and getting booed. And you know what he did? He got back up and came came running back into the play and then got an assist shortly after. So mm-hmm. I, I got. I have. I have no qualms with how West Ham's. Uh, attitude was when they played Chelsea. It was a big game. They got up for it. They need to get up for every game like that. But I'm not going to slate this team for for anything right now because I thought it was a solid team performance against Chelsea. And like I've been saying, like they're characters. They're people who want to play. Anderson fighting with the manager. The manager fighting with his players about tactics and team and the game, winning and making the best decisions for the team. That's what I want. I don't want Felipe Anderson saying, oh, I could have done something better. I could have scored. He wanted to be a factor in the game. I'll tell you that right now. He wanted to get on the score sheet. He wants to erase this, uh, you know, sophomore slump in the Premier League. And Pellegrini's saying, "Well, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the team." And I, I love that. That's again my own my own reading into the situation, <laughs> but that's what I want in my team. I think, and the thing that sums it up too was Declan Rice's interview after the match, and he was asked about how the team kind of prepared <laughs> for Chelsea. Love it. And he he mentioned uh, he mentioned that before, you know, Mark Noble kind of took them all aside and. You can just see this 20-year-old Declan Rice explaining it, but he's like, "Yeah, there were some curse words that were thrown out, but to see Noble, you, to see Noble, he has that kind of persona and he has that ability and he has that over the club. Like they know this is his club. Yeah, he might not have the skills that like an Anderson or an Arlea or somebody like that has, but he has them and they know that this is his club. And whenever that happens, everybody's going to play for it. And um, I mean, there was other great parts of that interview too, but uh, yeah, that was the one that stood out to me. Was just that that everybody kind of gathered around Noble, and that's what the change was. And maybe you know that's exactly what's needed. Well, what's needed for me now is like a cold shower because I'm getting all fired up in, in the <laughs> podcast studio here. So Jeremiah, thanks for chatting again midweek. Uh, we are excited and hopeful against Wolves, and that could really be the springboard 
this Chelsea match is a great performance, but it's not momentum until you do something with it. So uh, let's hope they do that against uh, against Wolves and then go scare the crap out of that characterless Arsenal team. Uh, but until next week, come on, you Irons. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.